I will not enter marriage with a divorce option for problems. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We're back in Mark this morning, so turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. In our last text, I, uh, I told you that I, I thought a believer could fall away from Jesus. He could begin to actually walk in faith. And then at some point, he could renounce that faith. And afterwards, some of you uh, said you disagreed with me, and you said that you believe that once a person begins to follow Jesus, uh, it is impossible for them not to follow him, and that a person, if they walk away, it's because they, um, they never really knew Jesus to start with. And that is a very viable biblical position. Uh, the good thing is that we all agree, don't we, that he who perseveres to the end is the one that's going to be saved, right? So whether we lost it or whether we never had it to start with, I want to urge you this morning, keep holding on to Jesus. Keep holding on to Jesus. Keep walking in faith. Keep trusting him. Better to enter his kingdom maimed than to be cast into the valley of Hinnom whole. Today in our text, Jesus will be asked a question regarding marriage and divorce. Let's acknowledge right up front here that this is a very relevant subject because many of you here listening to me have experienced a divorce uh, in your past and maybe you're remarried even. Maybe you have questions that linger about your previous marriage, about your divorce. Uh, Some of you may be in a marriage that didn't turn out like you dreamed or like you thought it was going to. And maybe you're thinking about getting a divorce. When, uh, when you're in a difficult marriage, does God have anything to say about that? And, let's, and let me just say this really quickly. Marriage is always difficult for every one of us at some point, right? But maybe you're in a, an ongoing difficult marriage. Does God want you to get out of that marriage? What should you do? Let me also acknowledge as I begin this morning that uh, this is not a subject that Christians uniformly agree on. And I must confess that I'm a bit gun-shy this morning in teaching on these things because I know we don't all agree. I remember teaching on this very same subject years ago, and the following Sunday, uh, our associate at the time got up here. He was scheduled to preach, and he said, I I was supposed to do this, but I want to tell you why Jimmy was wrong last week, you know. And uh, so I... uh, You know, I didn't mind him saying, hey, let me present to you a different view. I didn't appreciate the way he came about it. Some Bible teachers believe that Jesus taught, and they use this passage, that there is no divorce for anything, and there is no remarriage for anything that's permitted by God. Others, on the other hand, reason that everything is, any reason just about is permitted for divorce, and every reason just about is permitted for remarriage. And and, and, Christians fall all along this continuum, this continuum from that end to this end about what does God say about divorce and and remarriage. I honestly wish that Jesus were here today to clarify exactly what he meant. Um, I'm going to do my best to try to share with you uh, from from context what I think uh, the scripture means uh, about divorce and marriage. I keep saying, uh, uh, uh. that's because <laughs> my wife says when I'm nervous or when, uh, when I ever have to go, uh, uh, uh. so there's gonna be a lot of us in this one today. I just want to be honest with you. There'll be a lot of us in this today. That being said, um, you know, I, I'm gonna do my best to explain this. Uh, in, in my opinion, what Jesus is trying to tell us. Um, uh, but he is yet. <laughs> But he, he is very clear on some things, all right? And some things from this passage are not debatable. There's going to be one part that is debatable, I think, but not all of it is debatable. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12, let's begin. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And then crowds converged on him again, talking about Jesus. And as was his custom, he taught them again. Some Pharisees came to test him. I think other translations say uh, 
trick him or trap him, excuse me, trap him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send them away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him on this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Well, let's start with the context for this passage. And Mark tells us that Jesus has left Capernaum and now he's in the region of Judea in an area east of the Jordan River. And once again, the crowds have gathered to him. Now, it may seem to you and me that Jesus' location is unimportant to the story, but I, I think it is. It tells us that the Pharisees have come to test Jesus. Uh, they've come to trap him. And they've come to do that with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? So how is this question a trap for Jesus? For the next few minutes, I'm going to be trying to answer that question, but I'm also going to be setting context for what I think Jesus means in this passage, okay? So follow along as best you can. I'll try to be clear. I think we have to include Matthew's text in, in our study here because Matthew adds something to the question. And Matthew, what he adds to the question is this. In Matthew, same incident, it says, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus knows what they're referring to when they ask this question. And he asked them a question back. He doesn't answer their question. He says, what did Moses say? What did Moses command you? And, and Jesus is appealing to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So if you want to turn there, if you just want to listen, we're going to refer to this verse several times this morning. But in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, this is what we read. Moses wrote, if a man marries a woman... But she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. He may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now what the Pharisees are referring to, and, and this is, this is definitely verifiable, okay? So you'll just have to take my word on it now, but you can go and research it. That what Jesus is, what is happening here is the Pharisees have come and they're asking Jesus, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And, and that comes from that Deuteronomy 24, 1 verse, which says, if a man finds something indecent about her. There are two schools of thought in Jesus' day. If you've been watching The Chosen, you've heard about the conflict between Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, right? Rabbi Hillel was the liberal rabbi. Shammai was the conservative one. And uh, Hillel uh, taught that that phrase, some indecency in his wife, Hillel said, what Moses means there is that you can, you can divorce your wife for any reason. If you don't like the meal she cooks, if you don't like the way she cooked, if you don't like the way she looks, or if you find someone you like better than her, you can write her a certificate of divorce and, and you can divorce her just that, uh, just that simply. And this was, uh, very attractive to folks. It's, I think, a very prevalent view of divorce in our day and in our culture, even though we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, but we find most of us are Gentiles, excuse me. Uh, most of us are Gentiles in this room, but, um, but this is a prevailing view in, uh, in our culture that you can divorce for absolutely any reason. And this is attractive to many people. Uh, this view of easy divorce was accepted and very popular, especially in the region where Jesus now finds himself. All you needed to do, you didn't need a lawyer, you didn't need any kind of, uh, any kind of money, no legal fees, you just wrote your wife 
a letter of divorce saying, I am divorcing you because I, I don't like this about you and you could send her, well, send her away. That's what Hillel taught. Jesus taught parables. You remember this? Jesus taught a parable about a woman who had 10 coins. You remember that? And she loses one and she searches for it like crazy. Most people believe that that, pro, uh, that practice of having 10 coins on you was what women did because they were never secure. They were never sure that their husband wasn't going to come home and write them a, a bill of divorce. And they had to walk out and took no, took, could take nothing with them except what they had on them. And so they kept 10 coins on them so they would have something to survive if that is what happened to them. Now, thankfully, not every Jew of Jesus' day taught this. There was another view which was much more limiting, and this was Rabbi Shammai's view. And he taught that something indecent literally meant what it literally means, the nakedness of the thing. That word indecency there in the Hebrew literally means the nakedness of the things and of the thing. And for generations, it referred to some sinful sexual impropriety. A lot of times it was talking about exposing one's privates or even adultery. Now, now let's say about adultery. If someone committed adultery, you could take your spouse before the, uh, before the assembly of people and your spouse would be put to death for for adultery. You remember when, when Joseph thinks Mary has been unfaithful to him, you remember what it says about him, right? He wants to put her away quietly instead of actually having her executed for her uh, adultery. So you didn't have to, but that was, that was part of it. Now in his book, Divorce, Remarriage, and the Bible, Dr. Instone Brewer, I would encourage you to get this book. It came out maybe, I guess it's going on close to 20 years now, now, but he painstakingly researches the contractual obligations of the fundamental Jewish marriage. And this is what he says. It was basic to the marriage contract in Judaism in, in the old, under the old covenant that a husband should provide for his wife food, clothing, and love, i.e. marital rights. For her part, the wife was expected to prepare meals, make clothing, take care of the house, fulfill marital rights. These expectations were afforded even to a slave wife. So that when we get to Exodus 21, for instance, it tells us in verse 10, if a man takes an additional wife, he must not reduce the food, clothing, or marital rights of the first wife, i.e. the slave wife, and if he does not do these three things for her, she may leave free of charge. In other words, she's now free from her slavery, doesn't have to pay. Uh, she's free, to, free of charge without payment. And so Brewer and others contend, and, and I agree with this, that it was universally understood in Israel that failure of either partner to fulfill their basic obligations uh, was a legitimate reason for divorce, along with indecency, along with uh, sexual sin. And Instant Brewer says, and others say as well, and again, this is where I fall, others don't fall there, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit, uh, that the indecency for, for millennia, if not generations, had meant if, if somebody did not meet their basic obligations to their wife or their husbands, or if they were sexually improprior in some way, then they could be divorced. There was a legitimate, legitimate divorce for that. Hillel comes along and says, no, it's not just what we've established in the Old Testament law. It's you can divorce for any reason. And so we have these two major views. One is liberal and one is very conservative. One is unlimited and one is limited. And the Pharisees knew that Jesus did not hold the liberal view. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has already gone on record speaking against divorce. So they knew that. And so it says they came to test him or to trap him. How is it that by asking him this question, is this a trap or a test? Well, I think, let me, let me offer you two, two possible reasons how they're trying to trap him. All right, One of them is this. I think they may be trying to trap him to get him to say that the, to get him to hold to this conservative view that divorce isn't for any reason, that divorce is only for things 
that uh, rise to a level of serious nature according to the old covenant. You cannot divorce your wife for any reason. And I think what they were hoping was that the people would turn against Jesus because of his conservative view. Now, if you don't realize it, that's what's happening in our culture today against Christians. We have a conservative view of marriage. We have a conservative view of divorce. And our culture wants us to go on record as standing against what our culture wants. And I believe their, their hope and their goal in that is that more and more of culture will turn against us. So I think it's a possibility that the Pharisees may have wanted or may were trying to get the culture to turn against Jesus. But there's another reason as well. They're in Herod's country now. They're where Herod is, is the ruler. And so if you remember, Herod has divorced his wife for not an acceptable reason. He's divorced his wife because he's found a woman that he likes better. Her name was Herodias. She happened to be the sister of his brother, Philip. And so Herodias divorces her sister, I mean, her husband, and Herod divorces his wife, and the two of them marry. And you'll remember that John the Baptist could not leave that alone. And he was constantly talking about it, and it had cost him his head. And so I think maybe this is a test of Jesus because they're hoping that he'll say something against Herod in Herod's country so that Herod will then turn against, uh, against Jesus. So I believe that's the reason, that's how they're trying to trap him with this question. That's the background that leads us up, I believe, to, uh, to this question of divorce. So from Jesus' response, we can make several observations, I think, about marriage. I think even though he realizes this is a test or a trap, I, I believe he's telling us, here's some things I want you to know about marriage from God's perspective. So what does Jesus tell us about marriage? Well, let's look. Number one, he tells us that we need to take our instructions on marriage from God. He points them to Moses, and he points them to Deuteronomy 24, and he says, what does Moses say? What does Moses command? In other words, that's Jesus' way of saying, what does God say? Jesus is committed to Scripture. We need to take our instructions from Jesus and from the Word of God. We need to understand what Jesus says about, about everything from the Word of God. It's our authority. It's what we submit to. It, we, we bring into submission our beliefs, our feelings, our behaviors. All of them need to bring to be brought in line to the Word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, and he says this: We constantly thank God because you, when you received the word that God, uh, the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. Now, we're a church that believes that the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Word of God. And we need to bring ourselves under submission to the Word of God. So when we have questions like, how do I have a strong marriage? Well, we need to turn to the Word of God to answer that question. How do I raise and parent my children? We need to turn to the Word of God for that question. What if my spouse is a hoarder? We need to turn to the Word of God to answer that question. What if my spouse is not a believer? What if I want to divorce my spouse? What if my spouse wants to divorce me, right? What do I do about these things? Where do you find answers to those things? You do not find them in general consensus of your friends. You do not find them in the feelings of your heart. You find them in God's word. That's how you measure truth. Here's Jesus' point, and I believe this is his point. This is where we start to answer any, any question, any question. This is where we start the authority of Scripture. Now, in our culture, it's trying to tell us that two men can marry. It's trying to tell us that two women can marry. What does God say about that? And even though it means that we'll most likely more and more be standing against our culture, we need with grace and with kindness and with love, we need to say, yeah, but this may be what culture says, but this is what God says. And we need to stand with that. I will mention this again in just a moment, but I don't know why I'm mentioning it twice, but I just, I just 
Heard something recently that in the Northeast, there's a, a city or a town or a village, whatever they call them, and they just passed a law that you can marry multiple partners. And so you can have multiple wives or multiple husbands or families, marriages can be among more than two people. What does God say about that? There are cases in our court where people are trying to marry their pets. What does, what does the word of God say about that? Number two, Jesus acknowledges that marriage can reach a point where divorce is permitted. Jesus answers the Pharisees' question by saying, what did Moses command? And so they say to him, well, Moses, this is verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. And I think that Jesus' point in taking them there is, is for them, or even asking them that question, is that they might see that the divorce is not commanded by Moses. Divorce is not recommended by Moses. Divorce is permitted by Moses. Jesus responds to their answer that Moses permits divorce by saying, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts, But from the beginning, and I'm not going to keep reading, I'm simply going to paraphrase what else he says. From the beginning, marriage wasn't supposed to end in divorce. Do you hear me? God permits it because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, marriage wasn't supposed to end in divorce. Now, here's where some people will disagree with me. And they'll point to this text. They'll point to the Deuteronomy text and they'll say, Moses permitted, but God did not permit. This is Moses' words. This is not God's, this is not God's permission. This is Moses' permission. I'm just going to tell you, in the way I understand inerrancy, the way I understand the word of God, you cannot pit Moses against God. You cannot say Moses says you can divorce, but God says you cannot. Because if you're going to use that, you can use that anywhere in the scripture. Somebody says this, but God says this. I don't believe that's a fair and a valid way of understanding the word of God. So when Moses says God permits divorce, right, then that's God permitting divorce. Not because God wanted that from the beginning, but because he does permit it. But why does he permit it? If you look at it, at what Jesus says, he permits it because of the hardness of our hearts. He's permitting divorce. And and I'm not trying to give my thunder away yet. He's permitting divorce in some circumstances because of the hardness of our hearts, because of the sinfulness of our hearts, because God knows what we can do in our brokenness to one another. He knows what we can do to damage each other in our sinfulness. God knows the evil that is in some people's heart. And the evil that some people allow to take over their lives. In Romans chapter 1, God says, Men and women who suppress the truth of God. And listen, by the way, if you're listening to me and you're somebody who suppresses the truth that God has revealed to you, be aware because God can give you over to that suppression of truth. You follow me? I mean, he, he says, I'll give them over to the suppression of their truth. I don't know exactly what that means other than it sounds like God just kind of gives you over to run with your hardness of heart, with your evil heart. He just gives you up to run that way. When marriage breaks down, especially in the marriage between two followers of Jesus, it is an indication that at least someone has a hard heart. A hard heart that has become unyielding over time, that has become calloused and insensitive towards their spouse and God's will, towards their spouse and God's will for their marriage. A hard heart refuses to accept God's teaching and training on how to be faithful towards one's spouse and how to love one's spouse. A hard heart in marriage has forgot the meaning of God's kind of love. And I want to tell you something else that I've noticed over my years. I've noticed that when a spouse becomes hard-hearted towards their spouse, it is very easy for that same person to become hard-hearted towards God. That the person who becomes hard-hearted towards their spouse also tends to harden their heart towards, towards God. 
And that person then becomes a prime candidate to breach their marriage covenant in some way, to have an affair, to become abusive, or to walk away from their marriage because they become hardened in their heart. God knows that when people get married, Christian or not, they struggle with sin. And sometimes people's sin and selfishness rises to a point that I believe God is saying, there are times where I will permit divorce because of the evilness or the hardness of your heart. So um, because God permits divorce, Jesus says, uh, Jesus says divorce is possible at times, but he has much more to say about marriage and divorce. So say, stay with me. Number three, Jesus says that marriage is, is meant to be complementarian. Now here is where Jesus is going to tell us, yes, God permits divorce because you guys are certainly broken and at times it rises to that level, but that's not how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. Marriage is meant to be complementarian. Verse six, from the beginning God's cre- of God's creation, God made them male and female. Now I get it that our culture Western civ in general is beginning to embrace this idea that marriage can be a same-sex union. But that's not how God defines marriage, and it's not what biblical marriage is. God made us male and female, and he made us complementarian. And I'm not talking about the debate among Christians, the complementarian, egalitarian debate. I'm not talking about that. I'm simply saying that God made us different to complement one another. And so my, my weaknesses as a male or my strengths as a male are going to be complemented by, by the strengths of a woman. And, and my, and my, uh, and my strengths will complement her weaknesses. He made us this way, so when we come together, we become one. But as much as our culture wants to make marriage about men and men and women and women, that's just not what, that's not how God did it. It's not what God desires. And I'll say this, God even made our bodies, the bodies of men and women, complementarian. I'm just going to leave that. Most of you know what I mean. He made us complementarian. It takes men and women to reproduce. Now hear me out because I want to be sensitive here. I've never struggled with same-sex attraction. I have never struggled with that. But I know from people that I love, some people have indeed struggled with that. Maybe maybe you're even struggling. You're listening today. You're in this room. Or maybe you're listening to some other place and you're struggling. Why did that happen to me, you're saying? Why am I same-sex attracted? Is it environment? Is it biology? Man, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just know this. We live in a broken world that ends up breaking us in so many ways, right? So I don't know why that is. But listen to me carefully here. In spite of how we feel inwardly, we can choose to align ourselves with God's will for us by doing, and by doing so, we will reap the benefits of walking in faithfulness to God. In other words, I'm acknowledging that some of us may have a harder time with being same-sex, I mean, uh, opposite-sex attracted. I'm, I'm granting that may be true. But you can indeed, as a follower of Jesus, you can align yourself with what God des- desires for you, even though your feelings are something else. Number four. Jesus instructs us that marriage is to be monogamous, verse 7. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. Listen, there was a generation ago when I didn't need to say any of this. You all knew it. This is what you were taught in home, right? It's not so anymore. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. One man is to join one woman, and the two become one You know, I mentioned just a minute ago, and it's just amazing to me that there's already laws passed in our country for for, uh, polyamory and for polygamy, that people can actually marry multiple partners in our culture. That's what the patriarchs did in the Old Testament. But the idea, just like the same-sex marriage idea that our culture is so enamored with, polyamory and polygamy are equally wrong. They're not God's will for us. They're not God's plan. This was not how he intended marriage to be. Marriage was to be one husband and one wife, one spouse for one lifetime. 
I think I told you this story a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to tell it again. But when I'm in this perspectives class that I'm taking, I, um, I learned about this, this church planting, disciple making movement that swept Mongolia. And I mean, I mean, people, what, what happened at first was all these young people came to Jesus, but nobody of the older generation. And they're in a culture where there's great respect for age and there's great respect and authority. But somewhere along the line, this, these, these older Mongolians who were tribal leaders came to Jesus. And with their coming to Jesus came respect for the good news of the kingdom, right? And, and from that couple or from those few leaders, this explosion took place. And many people began to put their faith in Jesus and, and churches were cropping up all over Mongolia. Literally hundreds and thousands of people coming to Christ. And, and the missionaries, the missionaries did not come in and say, and, and try to impose our Western sieve on this Mongolian tribal culture. Instead, they let these tribal leaders understand the principles of the word of God and let them live it out through their Mongolian culture. And here's what happened. These tribal leaders of the church, not just tribal leaders of the church, came together to talk about this issue of multiple wives because they were in a multiple wife culture. And uh, so these leaders met, and here's, here's where they came out. They came out and they said, if you are a leader in the church, you cannot have multiple wives. You can only have one wife. But if you're not a leader in the church, you can have multiple wives. And that's where they came out. And the missionaries did not contradict them. The missionaries did not say you're wrong. They, they let them, whatever. I don't know how long it was after this. Was it a year, two years, five years? I don't know the time frame. But one of those tribal leaders came back to these, these, these church leaders, these tribal church leaders, and he said, you know, brothers, I've been thinking as I read my Bible that multiple wives is not God's ideal from the beginning. He said, I'd like us to go back and revisit that. And these tribal leaders went back and they came away with a different conclusion this time, that multiple wives was not God's will for his people and that one man should marry one wife. And they said, from this point on, we're going to teach and we're going to expect that following Jesus means one man, one wife for one lifetime. Here's my point. Their conclusion is what Jesus clearly taught us. Marriage is supposed to be monogamous. Number five, Jesus teaches us that marriage is to be the primary relationship in our, in our lives. Verse 7, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. And they'll, and they'll cleave together. I don't know if this is in that passage or not, but they're going, they're going, the husband and wife are going to cleave together. Now, when you're growing up, the primary relationship in your life is your family. It's mama and it's daddy. Let's be honest, dads, it's really mama. That's the primary relationship in your life, right? Um, and that's how it should be. But obviously, the world's so broken. The world is so broken that even that doesn't always, in fact, if we only knew how bad it is in so many broken homes because of the hardness and sinfulness of our hearts. There's a person who works in our church in CASA, which is a, an organization to come along and, and, and advocate for children in, in court cases where kids are maybe going to be taken away from their, their families. And, uh, and I've seen pictures when CASA workers go into these homes and it's just amazing the brokenness that these children live in. My kids also, some of my kids foster and to listen to them talk about the brokenness of, of, of these homes. It's just, it's just, it's horrible. It's just horrible. Um, but as children, nonetheless, even though some children don't have the ideal, right? And, and sin has broken their homes. Generally speaking, your parents are your primary relationship growing up. And generally, it's really good, right? Generally, we love our parents, and they love us, and they take care of us. Generally, it's really good, okay? But there comes a time when you find someone to share your life with, a guy or a gal, and, and, and you're going to leave your, your homes, your parents, and you're going to come together, and you're going to come together under a new roof, and you're going to be a new family 
unit. And Jesus says, that relationship becomes the primary relationship of your life. So all you married people in here, the primary relationship of your life should be that person you're sitting next to or that person who is your spouse. Maybe you're not sitting next to right now. That should be the primary relationship in your life. God designed it that way. So here's, listen to me carefully. Every young couple, leave your parents. Leave your parents. And, and I'm not trying to say that there not may be a time you come to live with them for a while, but don't make it too long. <laughs> don't make it too long. <laughs> and especially if your parents have been to empty nesters, please don't make it too long, right? But, uh, but, um, it's okay to, and I'm not talking about going back and, and having a season where you have to live with your parents because something's happening. I'm not talking about that. But leave your parents. Wives, you, you don't need to, you, your, your parents shouldn't be your advice board. Your husband should be. Husbands, your advice board shouldn't be your parents. It should be your wife. That's the primary relationship in your life. And parents, quit trying to drag your kids back into the home. Let them go. Support them. Help them stand on their own two feet. But, but don't be, don't be trying to keep them. You can't keep them. You weren't meant to keep them. You were meant to let them go. So when they marry, help them, help them go. Number six. Jesus explains that marriage is about becoming one with another. Verse seven. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. And they were no longer two, but one flesh. God at least designed it that way. We're supposed to become one. Two people uniting into one. Oneness in marriage refers to individual lives uniting together emotionally, sexually, intellectually, financially, spiritually, in every other way that you can think of. That's what's supposed to happen in our marriages. The two come together. And, and like I said earlier, we balance each other's strengths and we balance each other's weaknesses so that together we might be more than we would have been individually apart from one another. I know a lot of people don't like the word synergy. I love the word synergy. There's a synergy in our marriage that makes us more together than we would have been apart. And the two people in marriage are supposed to become dependent on one another and responsible for each other. And I got to be honest, I used to think that oneness happened sort of like this. Boom! You're married, you're one, right? You know, but it's not like that at all. Now, it is like this. Boom, you're married. God declares you one. But then you're going to spend your entire lifetimes becoming one together. God has declared you one. But you'll spend your entire next four, five, six decades together. You will spend that time becoming one. And it's not always going to be easy. At times it's going to be hard. But this is why, this is why we don't divorce because we work through those hard times and together we become one. It's sort of like becoming a Christian. Do you know that when you began to follow Jesus, can I tell you God did something and he said, you are perfect. You are perfect. I don't, he doesn't see any sin in us. We are the image of his son, right? That's what he declared me to be the moment I trusted Jesus. But you know what? I've been spending a lifetime trying to be what he declared me to be. And that's true in our marriages, I think, as well. Number seven. I'm almost finished. Hang with me. Jesus declares, Jesus declares that marriage is to be permanent. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And this is the bedrock of marriage. It's God's will. God created marriage. He designed it. And he has a desire for marriage to last our entire lifetime. The phrase, let no one separate, what God has joined together, refers to divorce. What God has joined together is designed to be permanent. It's not designed to have an out. It's not designed to, to come to an end. Divorce is not God's will, God's desire. As, as we said, God permits divorce because of the hardness and brokenness of our lives. Sometimes divorce is needed, but God wants us to fix our marriages. He wants us to love our spouses even when it's really, really hard. 
I think one of the most important things that I could say this morning to you young people who are going to marry in the next few years, I could say this to you. Do not enter your marriage with divorce in your back pocket. Do not enter your marriage saying, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll just get a divorce, right? Because that's what everybody in culture is doing. Don't, don't put marriage, don't put divorce in your back pocket. And, and, uh, and to all you young marrieds, um, that you're thinking about divorce because it's so hard. Let me just say that is not God's will for you. I'm telling you categorically. Well, I shouldn't say that because I don't know all the details. And I just got through saying that there are marriage situations that I think rise to a level of divorce. So I, I don't know. But, but for all the little things that we want to divorce, you know, hey, it's never God's will for those things. So as much as it depends on you, fix your marriage. As much as it depends on you, heal your marriage. As much as it depends on you, restore your marriage. Maybe that's not what you want. Maybe what you want is you want out. Because I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. People get to a place where they break and all they want is out. And if that's where you are, I'm just, I'm, I got something to say to you. I'm asking you to reconsider. Number eight, and this is my last one. Jesus explains that not all divorces are equal. So after this exchange with the Pharisees, verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples questioned him about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, those are the words that Jesus uttered to his disciples. Because of those words, some people say there is no divorce for any reason whatsoever. Jesus is not going along with uh, the Deuteronomy 24 passage. Jesus is not going along with any reason for divorce because that's, that's what it says there when his disciples ask him. Now, um, I got to tell you, I think the context matters. And the context, according to Matthew, is the question is, is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason? And I think Jesus is saying to his disciples, no, it's not. And if you divorce your wife for any reason other than one that would be legitimate, a trivial reason over against one that, uh, that would merit divorce, I think he's saying, if you do that, you are committing adultery. And so that women are not left out because women are not, they're not the major instigators of divorce in this time period, right? He says, but if you're a woman and you divorce your husband like Herodias did, then you uh, are also committing adultery if you divorce for an insignificant, trivial reason. Jesus is telling his disciples that if a poor person divorces their spouse because they don't like the habit their spouse has or they don't like something else about their spouse, they're committing adultery. If they divorce because they want to remarry someone else or someone better, in their opinion, they are committing Adultery. What that means, God considers the original marriage still intact if you break it for a trivial reason. Now, some people would say if you break it for any reason, you're still intact. I disagree, but that's, that's where the difference lies. So, so let me be clear. If you find someone you like better and you think marriage will be better with them and you divorce for that reason, you are committing adultery. And in our culture, listen carefully, in our culture that puts such an emphasis on romantic love, many, many divorces are for this reason. They're divorcing because they found a different person other than their spouse, someone they like better, someone who's better looking, someone who makes them laugh, and I don't know what it might be. Jesus said, if you divorce for that reason, you are committing adultery. Here's Jesus' point, in my opinion. Not all divorces are legitimate. Divorce is never required. Divorce is never what God intends for his people. But I still believe that Jesus is telling us that there are some situations where the brokenness is so great, divorce is permitted. Maybe even necessary to protect the life of, of the wife or, or maybe the children or the husband. 
But some divorces, maybe most divorces, are not as a result of that reason. They are a result of the reason selfishness. We, we, we knew maybe when we did our divorce, we, we knew we were wrong. Uh, maybe we didn't know God at the time. We were just doing what we wanted. Our divorce was for the purpose of adultery. Our, our divorce was the purpose of, it was just a trivial reason we wanted out. What should you do about that? Well, if, if you're here this morning or you're listening on the live stream and that's and your divorce and your past is like that, what do you do about that? Seriously. If you're divorced now and you know in your heart that it wasn't a legitimate divorce, that it was just for a trivial matter, what should you do now? So first, let me, let me say this. And I want to say it clearly. I want to say it decisively. Um, divorce and all sin, God forgives and God cleanses and God restores. If you've gone through a divorce, a wrong divorce, you may have been the cause of your divorce. You brought it about. Hear me clearly. God loves you. He's never stopped loving you. and He's never stopped caring for you. But... God always desires for us to acknowledge our wrong or our sin. He desires for us to repent. So if God's Spirit convicts you that your divorce in the past was not, it was not for a matter that rose to the level that it should have merited a divorce, but you divorced for some trivial reason or because you found someone you like better, then you need to confess your sin to God. You need to acknowledge it. This was not right. I didn't do right, God. I know I didn't do right. Confess it to God. Maybe you need to confess it to your former spouse. And I know some of you inside just said, ah, you know. But it's true. If you were, if you were the person, the instigator of a trivial divorce, then you need to confess that sin. If, you're, if the Spirit convicts you that you need to admit that's wrong to God and, and you need to admit that to your spouse maybe and ask God to cleanse you and to restore you completely and to remove guilt and shame of past failure because maybe some of you are sitting here and you've been divorced and you're still filled with shame and guilt because of it. God doesn't want you to continually walk in guilt and shame. Whether we're the guilt culture or the shame culture, God wants to forgive and cleanse. And so go to him and let him cleanse all of that. Now, if your divorce wasn't your doing, uh, or in other words, you didn't want your divorce, you fought against it, but you know, it, it happened to you, or, or if your divorce was for a legitimate reason, you have no need to feel guilt or shame. Maybe sadness, maybe sadness, Right? But confess to God your gratefulness for getting you through that and for loving you all the way through it. Repentance also involves restoration. What do you do if you've got a wrong divorce? Do you divorce your spouse and go back to your previous spouse? Well, what a can of worms, right? Um, but the answer is no. In Deuteronomy, that 24 passage says if you divorce your wife for an indecency, you're not allowed to go back to her in the future if you divorce your other wife or, or you lose her. You're not allowed to go back to her. In Ezra, in Ezra, when Ezra returns from, uh, from Babylon, he finds that the, the, the Jewish people have intermarried with foreign wives. And uh, you remember that Ezra says, put away your foreign wives. And they did that. That's under the old covenant. I, I just, I, I don't see any way of unscrambling these, uh, these eggs. But uh, so what would repentance look like? I think repentance would maybe mean confession of sin if God is if God is convicting you of that. But I think also repentance might be this would be repentance. It would be loving your spouse now and always the way you should. In other words, don't make the same mistake twice. You know, second marriages, I don't know what the percentage is, but second marriages end more so than first marriages, right? So if you're married again after a wrong divorce, just make sure you're going to love your spouse the way Jesus wants you to. I'm out of time. I want to end with three, these three applicational challenges for us this morning. Um, I'm trying every time I engage the Word of God, whether it's privately, personally, whether it's in this time or in our home group settings, I'm trying to leave every time by formulating an I will statement for myself. 
and I and I've got a note in my in my phone that says I will, and I'm writing my I will statements down, and then I'm periodically reviewing my I will statements, seeking to obey what I feel like God's telling me. So I have three I will statements for you this morning. The first one is this. I will press on towards oneness in my marriage. I want you all to leave here this morning. You married folks. I want you to all leave this morning with this I will statement. I don't see why you can't. I will press on towards the oneness that God wants for my marriage. I'm going to press in to that oneness. That, that's where I'd want myself and you. That's how I'd want you to leave this morning, pressing in uh, to that oneness. And I realize that some of you may have disconnected from your marriage. You're disconnected in your heart, and there's no desire to pursue after oneness. I'm asking you this morning to repent. I'm asking you to stop that. I'm asking you to change that. I'm asking you to turn your heart back towards your spouse and and press towards oneness. Number two, I will not, this is my second I will statement, I will not enter marriage with a divorce option for problems. So if you're already in a marriage and, you know, and, and this is, and divorce is on the table for trivial matters, then I want to just urge you this morning to, to backstep, backtrack and say, I will not choose divorce for, for all these trivial matters. I, I will not. I will press on to oneness. I will fix this. I, as much as it depends on me. I am going to, I'm going to work on my marriage. If you're not married and you'll be married, say, in the next few years, I, would, you, would you say, I will not enter into my marriage with a, with a divorce option there? And number three, if, uh, oh, if you're leaning towards divorce, uh, I will reconsider. If you're here this morning or listening on live stream or listening at some other point, and divorce is rattling in your heart or rattling in your mind, I, I want to ask you to reconsider. Would you reconsider? Would you try to restore your marriage? Would you press on into oneness? Let's just make our marriages as great as they can be. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.